Thank you, men. Transition now, beloved, to worship in the Word. Our worship in the Word. A welcome to you if this is your first time at Westmount Bible Chapel. Uh, I pray and I trust you've already been warmly welcomed. Uh, you can take, if you do not have one with you, a copy of God's Word. You'll see it in the rack in front of you. You do that now, and I invite everyone to do that, to take their, their Bible and turn to Exodus 20. We have been in this study since the fall in the book of Exodus. It's been a blessed journey, and uh, we continue on in this 20th chapter, this landmark chapter of this second book of the Bible, Exodus 20. And this morning, we will simply pick up where we left off last week, hit the ground running, if you will. We've course settled back in as of last week into our study of the Ten Commandments, or as this passage calls it, the Ten Words. And to this point, we've looked at our theology, and our theology was found in the first commandment. Remember, it was this, God alone. We shall have no other gods before the one true God. The first commandment says, he is our only. He is our only. On the heels of that, we looked at our worship in the second commandment, That makes clear we bow down to no other image. We give worship nowhere else. Only God is our worship. That was the second commandment. Then last week we examined our words in the third commandment. God's law forbids the use of his name in vain. Remember the flippant, thoughtless use of his name. From employing his name without thought to cursing to even padding our words with more words, all of that we pulled out of that third commandment and it was in there. And today, as we follow the text, that's what we do, verse by verse, our focus will be on our days, our days, and the fourth commandment. Now, I think it is fair to say that there is, of all the commandments and all the words in Exodus 20, there may not be a more misunderstood command than this one. We've arrived at one that uh, I have to admit to you, uh, one morning hardly feels like enough to cover what needs to be covered with this command, if for no other reason the confusion around Sabbath. Confusion of Sabbath for Lord's Day, you'll say I hear both Saturday versus Sunday, Confusion that manifests itself in negligence or hyperactivity to what one should do on Sunday to what one shouldn't do on Sunday. People internally wrestling with themselves or outwardly fighting with others. Then, of course, there's questions like, should I work on Sunday? What is work? Is this allowed on Lord's Day? Is that allowed on Sabbath? And on it goes. Confusion over Sabbath has been an enduring debate, has it not? However... Nothing has demonstrated our absolute failure to recognize the heart of this command at its most basic level than the past two years. Nothing has revealed Lord's Day as just another day for so many churches than this day. Let me offer you one illustration by way of evidence. Just over a year ago, And hear me, when we knew far less about what we were dealing with out there in microbiology, we knew far less a year ago, right? Far less, that's important. We didn't know. And in this land, we had over 400 churches that put their name to a petition and said, we're open. Lord's Day is essential. 
In Canada, signing a petition that said, Lord's Day, Sunday, this day is a priority for the church. Over 400 churches in this land. It was very encouraging. Today, one year later, with the swaths of evidence that we have, I mean reams of evidence, and by the way, over 99% of people still standing, Today, with laws today now allowing opening in almost every jurisdiction in this land, we still have churches today in this province, in this region, with doors shut this morning, revealing the priority of this day. I spoke with an elder at one of those churches this week, a church that could legally open, but it is not open this day. And he said to me, and of course he would struggle and be frustrated with what's going on, he said, speaking of his church, it's just not something they want to deal with this week. Did you hear that? It's just not something they want to deal with this week. I never realized Lord's Day was such an inconvenience. They're not ready. They're not ready on Lord's Day to gather. They can according to Caesar. Not that we need that. We don't. But they're not ready to gather. And, and listen to me, beloved. This is a church where 15% easily would fill the room. Not that it's about numbers, but that's not even in debate. They could easily fit their full church in 50% of the room they have. Presumably, those members are engaged in other essential things today. I ask you, how has it come to this? How how has it come to this? How has the church, forget Caesar, how has the church deemed Lord's Day non-essential? How is that? Well, Westmount, I can tell you this didn't happen overnight. This is not something any given church wakes up and says, you know what, let's take our hand off the wheel Lord's Day. Let's just ease off Sunday. No one wakes up and decides to do that. This is a slow burn. This is the frog in the slowly boiling pot of water, absolutely unaware. This is not just this year, but years upon years of slowly, here it is, adding other priorities to Lord's Day. Some things are not bad in and of themselves, but they're very subtle. Death by a thousand cuts. It's the Sunday errands, the Sunday to-dos, the Sunday you can understand, the Sunday God understands. Some things are just unwise, and listen to me, if not just flat out wrong. The Sunday morning practice day. Oh, he has practice on Sunday morning. Added to that, views of God continue to plummet, and views of man continue to elevate. And we offer up to God some version of God understands what I have to do on Sunday. Throw in reams of mindless to-dos and distractions and the table was set for years of decline for an arrival at a time like this day. Like this day where Lord's Day is not only buried behind other days but many just sigh and say, and I know you've heard this over the past 16 months, church folk, what's all the fuss? I'm doing just fine at home. And so by the grace and mercy of God, church, by the grace and mercy of our great God, we arrive at a text like this for a time such as this. A text, a commandment, a word from God that speaks directly to our days. 
Let us now look down, read, and consider it. Look at it as it is found in verses 8 through 11 of chapter 20. The Word of God says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Father, we beg and we pray that you would help us to see what we maybe have not seen to this point. We ask that you would help us to receive what we do see. We ask for your understanding of this text, and God, we pray that you would give us the will and the resolve to live it. All to your glory, we pray in Christ's name. The Sabbath day, look at those verses, six days the holy day, the work days, the creation days, the rest days. Indeed, days are the focus of these verses in this command. And again, I can't say this enough up front. There's just so much to cover here. I've wrestled with it all week long. There's an immense amount in these verses, and we cannot possibly get to all the things. Thankfully, Sabbath has dealt with quite a bit in the book of Exodus, and I'll touch on that later. So let's not tarry any longer. We will see three types of days in these verses in this account. Each is found explicitly in the text open in front of you. And the first type is this. Look at verse 8. The holy day. The holy day. Verse 8 says this. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. We will not stray far from the text here. Beloved, let us simply study each part of this verse. We're staying right in the verse. First, God says what? Remember. Remember. Now, as we often have to do in Scripture, we need to clarify words and definitions. We need to redeem them biblically. I ask you now, when you think of remembering, you're likely thinking of a strictly mental act, a think back. It's in mind. That is remembering as it's commonly understood today, but that is not how the Bible defines it and certainly not how the Bible defines it here. And we'll look at that in a moment. Again, so many places we can go to to learn of biblical remembrance, but let's stay as we are endeavoring to do in this study in the context of the book of Exodus. So turn back to Exodus 2. We want to stay in context. Again, there's many places I could have taken you for biblical remembrance, but let's just stay in this book. Remember, as the book opens, Israel is being oppressed by Egypt. They are groaning, and their voices go up to God. Their cry for rescue and slavery, chapter 2, verse 23, it says, came up to God. And then look at verse 24. And God heard their groaning and what? God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew And then, of course, we went in and God just went back to doing what God does and just thought, wow, those poor Israelites. No. What is biblical remembrance? Action after that thought. Do you see that? And that's just one. Turn to chapter 6. He, of course, initiated his action by coming down in the burning bush, manifesting himself to Moses, laying out the program for deliverance, covenant fidelity, right? This is what God said he would do when he does it. 
Then, of course, as we come in now to chapter 6, look at verses 5 and 6. Moreover, this is God now speaking again to Moses to the people. I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel. There it is again. Whom the Egyptians hold as slaves. And what? I have remembered my covenant. And then this, verse 6. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. Remembering with our Lord is not just a mental act, is it? Remembering means I'm going to act. This is what I'm going to do. But we're not done that. Look at Exodus 12. Remember the Passover. The Passover was the act of God's remembrance of the covenant. But look what he tells the people. Let's pick up the account in verse 14. Remember, he says to Pharaoh, this is what's going to happen lose her firstborn son. And now he turns and he's speaking to his people. And this is what he says. Look at the forward thinking of this remembrance. This is key. Verse 14. This day shall be for you what? A memorial day and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. Similar to what we did at the Lord's table a few moments ago and what God told Israel back then what? Just remember it? Just have a notification that, oh, well, that's interesting. On this day, this happened. No, remember by what? Doing, commemorating, celebrating. Remembering is actively doing something in God's economy. Do this. Look at verse 17. And you shall observe, note that word, observe the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Yet words like commemorate. Observe, remember, memorial. To remember, it turns out in Scripture, it turns out in this very book, as the Bible reveals here, is mental, but mental with action. Do you see that? It's not just a mind thing. It is the mental that leads to action. To remember here is to bring to mind for the purpose to bring to action. Biblical remembering is action. Thus... And this is so important as we lay foundations here for Sabbath. The first thing we learn about the fourth commandment is this. It is not passivity. The fourth commandment is not about being passive. This command, let me be blunt, is not, oh, that command, the do nothing one day a week command. That's not what this command is at all. So if we need to course correct that, we do it right out of the gate with remember in verse 8. Whatever this command is, and I pray we'll see that this morning, it is a command to action. Remember, call to mind, act. And what is Israel called here to do? Remember the Sabbath day. Call it to mind, put it to action. The Sabbath day, and that prompts a couple questions. What is the Sabbath day, and how do you act on the Sabbath day? Well, first, look at that word there as we go now to chapter 20, back to our residence here in chapter 20. Verse 8, remember the Sabbath day. The word Sabbath there means to rest, to desist, to cease from work. And you are going to tell me those sound like very passive words. And you see how it's not a matter of letting the Bible conform to our sensibilities, right? How often is this true? We need to conform maybe our twists, our bents, our perversions to what the Word of God says. And I want to show that to you this morning. I pray that you will walk away as we look at this text and you'll understand that maybe there's some things that needed course correction. 
But indeed, that's what Sabbath means. Now, of course, we need to ask, well, what do we mean by rest? What do we mean by Sabbath? Well, we've already been introduced to that word back in chapter 16. And you can turn there. I'll read it for you. But remember, this is the first time we're introduced to Sabbath. Verses 22 and 23 say this in chapter 16. Remember, they've been freed. They've been delivered. God is establishing his people. And he gives them specific instructions on how to live fresh off deliverance. He says, on the sixth day, the word says, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. Remember, they're getting providential bread from heaven. But on the sixth day, when there's enough for each portion, they gathered twice as much. Two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, now listen to this, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow, so the sixth day, they're gathering two portions. God says, tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil and all that's left over lay aside to be kept till morning. Do you feel the force of that? The sixth day do a double portion to prepare for the seventh day. So we've been introduced to this. So whatever Sabbath is, there's something preparatory going on here. Sabbath is the seventh day and not surprisingly the day of rest. You see that in verse 23. But the question still looms. What is meant by rest? What is meant by rest? Well, we consider this again. Listen, we learn that Sabbath in chapter 16 is not just rest. It's not just sit back, kick back. But note the adjective in chapter 16. It's not rest, it is solemn rest. You see that? It's solemn rest. That means active. An adjective put on to rest is demonstrating something active. And even more intentional, solemn rest. And again, we've already been introduced to this. The Lord says, a solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So you see, we might have a directional issue. Think that it is a kickback and it is passivity. No, this is a holy Sabbath to the Lord. That's noteworthy again as we just come back to Exodus 20. And it's the reality of that word holy that we've already been introduced to, not just in chapter 16, way back in chapter 3. Hang on to that and look at verse 8 again. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. To keep it holy. Beloved, whatever we want to say about Sabbath, as we will continue to say, this is no ordinary rest. Do you see that? Whatever the rest is in view here, it's not ordinary rest. This is no brain shut off stuff. This is attentive, solemn, holy to the Lord. In fact, if you look at the verb there in verse 8, to keep, in the original, it's in an active causative form. That means that to keep means to intentionally do something. And here it is, to cause one to be in a state. That's so important. And what is commanded to be kept or be done is so to cause a state of being. Look at it, to keep it holy. And there's that word again, holy. Now, for many of us that have been here for a while, this should be automatic for us. When you hear holy, holy means what? To be consecrated, to be set apart, and what? Fully devoted to God. It's a very active thing. Beloved, it doesn't get more active, I would submit to you, than holiness. Is that not true? It is incredibly active to be set apart and to be fully devoted unto God. It's nothing passive at all. To be holy is not to be passive. So let's put all the pieces of this verse in command together. Remember, so 
call to mind for the purpose of action. Remember the Sabbath day. So call to mind the Sabbath day to do something with it. And what is that? Call the Sabbath day to mind to keep it holy. And logically, how do you do that? Well, it must mean, it must mean this, when you have holy and Sabbath in context together, it must mean that the Sabbath is a day, the Sabbath day is a day set apart from other days and fully devoted to God. Do you see that? It must mean that in context. It must mean a day set apart, fully devoted to God. Beloved, it doesn't get more active than that. Remember, calling to mind for the purpose of action. Now, again, if you've been at Westmount for any length of time, and we've studied holiness quite a bit, you recall our study in Exodus, that command in verse 8 would be enough. You would say, okay, I get it. There's a day set apart, fully devoted unto God. I mean, whatever we say about this particular day, the fact that it's a holy, set-apart day, fully devoted to God, is clear just in verse 8 alone. And in one sense, I would submit to you, the fact that it is, whatever Sabbath is, and we'll unpack some more, we would agree on this Sabbath, this holy day is a day unlike any other day in our week. I think that's pretty clear. Just as people look at Israel, a holy nation, a set-apart nation among nations, so too people would look at us, church, a holy people among other peoples. And so too, like them, like us, just as set apart as people here, so too our days must be set apart. There would then be a day of days for God's people. No matter the dispensation, there's a day of days, a set apart day. A day that is set apart from the other days and a day that is fully devoted, consecrated unto God. That's clear. That's the heart of this commandment, this word, Westmount Saints. This day, the Sabbath for God's people here, is to be a holy day. And the implications must be clear, brothers and sisters. God's people then are to set apart a day fully consecrated, that day fully consecrated from all others. A day, and here it is, let's get pointed, a day that doesn't look like all the other days. It doesn't look like all the other days. A day, in fact, can I submit to you when you think about holiness, it's radically different by worldly standards. A day that people would look and say, what are you doing on that day? It's like you've hit the pause button on everything else and you're doing something completely different on that day. And that's why, and we would say, God's people, according to God's law, are to set apart a holy day. A day set apart, a day consecrated, and a day fully devoted to the Lord. That is the holy day. That is thus the Lord's day. Now, I want to pause for a moment and submit to you for all the Sabbath questions. I pray you're with me thus far. For all of our Sabbath questions, and I know there's many, that verse, look at it, verse 8, really in principle, that verse clears up a lot of things, doesn't it? I pray you're at least tracking thus far to say, well, wait a minute, at least there's some questions that, wow, we're way off that. But this is helpful. Verse 8 is very helpful. Now, I know there's questions, and I recognize it's not that easy. You may say, well, sure, I see the holiness of the day, but it's not so easy in these muddied times. For our help, God gives us the next few verses. So many reasons I say to you all the time, I love God's word, because you have questions, and then you have these next few verses that help clarify. Because we always have questions, right? 
Can I do such and such? And here it is, you know this kind of question. Well, can I do this and still be fully devoted to the Lord? That's the kind of questions we're asking, right? That's who we are. What can I do and still obey the command? Or why is this such an important day and deal? I mean, a command about our days. I mean, words were enough. I'm still reeling from last week. Now the days. Well, thankfully, the next few verses will answer that. Let's now move on to them. We've looked at the holy day. Now we're going to look at the common days. Look at verse 9, the common days. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. Our week, of course, everybody's week, has seven days. In verse 8, we learn that one of those is set apart unto the Lord. That set apart day is the holy day, the Lord's day. But what of the other six days? Well, this next verse tells us that in all the other days, all six of them, they are common. The remaining six days, and I want you to note how many that is compared to one. I mean, six to one is quite a ratio, isn't it? Think about things you need to do. Six to one are common days. By common days, the text means days dedicated, here it is, to work, to labor, to man, to you. You see that? You say, where is that? Well, well, we'll see. These are days, as we'll see, look at the end of verse 9, where God says, you do, what does it say? Your work. Do you see that? On the common days, you do your work. Your work, that is work owned by you, God's child, six days of your labor and your effort. Now, let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. Let's pause to make sure we see this. The week for all of God's people is comprised of seven full days. That's our calendar week. And God says here to his people, one of those days is to be kept holy, set apart for him. And God also says here, the remaining six days are common for your work, for your labor. Now, I trust this is straightforward so far. However, you may have a question about work. You might ask, well, what do we mean by labor and work? It's a very common question about common days. Well, simply, the answer to that, as we're going to see in verses 9 and 10, is productivity. It's very clear in verse 9 and 10. That's what's in view here. Let me show you this. Look at verse 10. Verse 10, But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall look what you not do. You shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. In ancient times, work orbited, productivity orbited. It wasn't outsourced, right? It was within the home and the household. As such, look at all the different roles there. The whole family was involved in these home economics. The son, the daughter, the servants, the animals, even the passerby. Do you see that? The sojourner that's like, grab me a cot for the night. No, 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 you're pulled into the house economics. If you're going to be here, you've got to earn your keep, Right? This is a household thing, but this is so important. It was a household work and labor and productivity. And and here's why. There was bread to bake. There were fields to plow, fields to glean, lots of domestic work to be done. And that work was productive work. Work that, note this, sustained livelihood, yielded food, and on it goes. It was the heart of work in the home. But it was man's work. To keep man going. And it was work that was productive for man. Labor that produced much for man. And here you see God says that man-centered work, that labor is common. That's common work. Such work is the work you're engaged in for six days. As such, those are common days. However, God says, verse 10, 
that on the seventh day, that Sabbath, that holy day, you're not to engage in that kind of work. It is a holy day. It's not a common day. God gave six full days for common work. I'm not a math guy, so I pulled out the calculator this week, and that is 85% of the week is common. I have the technology to prove it. 85% of the work week is common. And beloved, that's more than enough for your work. Is that not true? Six days, let me say this, should be more than enough. And let me prove it to you. The world says five days is more than enough. Although I understand those lines are getting blurred these days. If the world says five days, the nine to five work week is enough. What are we saying if we tell the Lord, you know what, Lord, six days is not enough. I just got to keep going on that seventh day. What are we saying if we tell the Lord, we need a seventh day to sustain our work and to keep our work. What are we saying? Now, I trust this is starting to come together for you in a foundational way. But you still have questions, I know. And we will get to those as we devote some time to application in a moment. We have one more verse to get to here. We've seen the holy day. The common days, and one more type here, the first days. Look at verse 11. The first days. Let's read it. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now what I want you to see right away in verse 11 is this. What's the one word there right at the beginning? For. And what have we learned, Westmount? Whether our hermeneutics tell us, when you see for, when you see therefore, there's something connected, right? And what I want you to see is something connected here is not Egypt. We're going outside of Egypt to what? Creation, the beginning of time. You see the Apostle Paul do this in the New Testament often, don't you? There's a squabble about what you can do and can't do, and Paul says, stop, stop. Men, women, what they can do in the church, let me take you all the way back to creation. You see that? It's almost as if a way that God in his grace and providence says, all the, the, the quarreling, all the debate, let me take you back to the beginning to show you the way that it was originally intended to be. There is so much jam-packed in pre-fall that's instructive for us. And beloved, this may be a challenge for us this morning. Sabbath is the same. Sabbath is the same. And do you see what God is doing? He's not saying, well, you know what? It's Sinai. I'm instituting this, and this is brand new, and this under this thing in the mosaic. No, he says, let's go back to the beginning. And look what he says. For. For what? In six days the Lord made heaven and earth. Any Jew and any Christian knows exactly what the Lord is talking about when he says that. They know where they're being taken to. Creation. Creation. So let's turn there. This is very, very instructive and important for us. Genesis 1. Let's go to the beginning. And Genesis 1 famously is the Lord's work at creation. That's how the Bible opens with six days, a literal creative work of God in six days. In chapter 1, as you go there, for six days we see, and let's just do a very familiar scan as you work through chapter 1, the Lord made what? Light. The seas, plants, the sun and moon, living creatures, and then, of course, man and woman. In six days, he did that. He worked at creation. Six days, note this, of productivity. Creative productivity, right? Giving life, working for all that would sustain daily life. And then, as you turn to Genesis 2, after six productive, creative days, we get this to open chapter 2. Thus... The heavens and the earth were finished. 
work is done, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. And then note this. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Is that not familiar? He made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Pray you're starting to tie the two together. Turn back to Exodus 20. Keep creation in mind. On the seventh day, God did what? After creation, he made it holy. And what else did we read? He rested from all his work. And we know it wasn't just resting, period. It said he rested from that work, his creative work. We're going to come back to that in a moment. But for now, we just note, as we keep creation in mind, in six days, our Lord worked to create, and on the seventh day, he rested from his work of creation. More specifically, the Bible says that God made that seventh day holy. That is so important. At creation, you see the same thing at Sinai. On the seventh day, there was an active, intentional act to set apart that day among all days, to make it holy. I pray it sounds very familiar now as you're in Exodus 20. And let's read verse 11 again. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. Again, we are just looking to put pieces together here. Six days work, one day rest, not just at Sinai, but at creation. Six common days, one holy day, not just at Sinai, but at creation. There's the pattern. And we learn from God's word, this idea, we've talked about this in the Mosaic Law, this idea of six and one, of Sabbath rest, here it is, is not something new that's all of a sudden popping up here. No Israelite would be charged with, wow, well, that's brand new. Yahweh, where, where did that come from? They would know it's rooted in the creation order. God isn't giving Moses something new, new edict arising on Mount Sinai. No, we see God pointing us back, all the way back to his work at creation, to those first days. The Sabbath law, the holy day that is apart from the common days, is based and is rooted in God's work at creation. Now... This is informative for us on a couple of levels that we need to pause and note. Number one, when we think about this mapping to creation, we've referenced this reality of the Mosaic Law before. That the Mosaic Law is a snapshot and a timestamp of a much greater law. We've said that, right? There's a, there's a law that flows out of God's character that always is. And the Mosaic Law is like time stamp. That's why, as we'll get to some of the ceremonial civil bits that we get in this law, but what we're seeing here is a snapshot that goes beyond that time period. It's pointing to something greater. The fourth commandment is pointing to a cosmic reality that was true long before Sinai, long before God said, Thou shalt or thou shalt not. And it's important, as we'll see in a moment, because Sabbath is always God's law. Or I would say this, the heart of Sabbath is always God's law. God's higher transcendent law has always at creation held to this 6-1 standard. For man in Exodus, and as we see in Genesis, for God Almighty, true of man, true of God, six days work, one day rest. And that brings us to a second reality that we need to point out here in verse 11, and it's this. At the heart of this fourth commandment, as with all his commandments, 
is that as image bearers of God, that by way of Sabbath, we imitate God. You see that? We're image bearers of God. And in this commandment, in this transcendent law, we're simply living out who we are as image bearers of the one true God. It's very straightforward. As image bearers of God then, if God did it at creation, so too we as he charges us to have dominion over the earth, to be productive, multiply. We too work for six days and then we too, like God, make the seventh day holy. It's a divine principle. As God did in those first days, as God's law states, so to Israel, so to us. Now, Hearing that, you might just be ready literally to raise your hand at this point. I recognize I got a litany of questions. I mean, I did as I was studying, and I tried to kind of get in your skin and just think through these things. I mean, we've all wrestled with Sabbath, so we need to, in the time we have left, deal with some of these. I pray, and again, we will have extended times in Sabbath uh, later on in Exodus. Now, you might, again, have some very specific questions still lingering, so let's aim to clear some up. And a passage like this needs a decent size of application devoted to it, so that's what we'll endeavor to do. And we're going to take these final moments, and we're going to map this fourth commandment to today, because that's what you're asking. How does this map to today? Number one, let's deal with the question of relevance. Many people, this is the heartbeat of it, right? How is Sabbath relevant to the new covenant? How is Sabbath for Israel relevant to Sunday for the church? That's the big question. Well, let me ask you something first. Before we get caught up on days of the week, is relevance an issue for the other nine commands? Does anyone stumble over the relevance of the other nine commands? Do we take all ten commands of the word and say, well, you know, those are all the old, all that stuff about murder and adultery and lying? That's just so Old Testament. It's not relevant to now because we're the church, right? And you know what the sad part about me just saying that is? As some of you smile, do you know that there's some movements that believe just that? That was law. That's the dispensation of law. But we're under grace. We're free. We have no law. We're antinomian. It doesn't matter. We're free, grace. That's the sad reality. I'm using it as an illustration, but it's actually a reality for some. That none of this is relevant. And that in one sense, I am being, I am exaggerating in one sense. That idolatry, murder, and lying is just old covenant stuff. We need not worry in Christ. But we don't do that. Certainly no responsible Bible-believing Christian would hold to that. We recognize there's relevance for all of the Ten Commandments. In fact, speaking of Jesus, we see Jesus do what with these commands often? What about Matthew 5, 6, and 7? What does he say? You've heard it said... But I say to you what? He expands, he gives through him, through his character, through the Father, he explains this is the heart of this law. He doesn't say you don't have to live by that anymore. In fact, what does he do? He doesn't lower it or bring it away. He elevates it. Are you telling me that if I'm angry with someone in my heart, I'm murdering them? And Jesus says, yes. And we'll get there in the Ten Commandments. You see, we, this is where we can go askew. Jesus affirms and gives us the heart of these commandments. Now listen, not with their mosaic time stamp, but he goes higher. And here it is. Jesus always goes to the higher, transcendent, eternal standard of God revealed in his character. Book of Galatians chapter 6 calls it the law of Christ. You hear it, law of God in other places in the New Testament. And just like murder and adultery 
famous in the New Testament, God does with Sabbath too. I mean, I would submit to you this morning, did you know that there may not be a commandment of the ten that Jesus dealt with more than the Sabbath? Do you realize that? Jesus dealt with the Sabbath all the time in the New Testament and clarifying the Sabbath. Turn to Mark 3. Turn to Mark 3. We'll come close to the passage that Dave read for us. There's so much in this account. We want to read, if we were to keep on reading from where we left off in chapter 2, we get another Sabbath account. Dave read for us one, and we're going to read another. In chapter 3, let's just pick up this account. And again, Jesus, this is during his ministry, entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus, now look at this, to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. This is one of those passages, and we're familiar in the New Testament, right? You stop and say, something's wrong here. Because if I just use simple logic, the implication is it would be wrong to do good and heal on the Sabbath. How can that be on Sabbath day? And it's true. And he said to the man, verse 3, with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, now listen to what Jesus says. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent, of course, because the answer is obvious. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to, them, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. And that would be another message there, verse 6. But the point is, they had no answer. They only had anger for him because it's obvious. It's obvious. Jesus, far from abolishing the law of Sabbath in one sense, saying you don't need to hold to that, he clarifies the intent of the Sabbath, and it's what? Look at verse 4. To do good. In a sense, Jesus asks, what do you think the point of Sabbath is? It's a great question. In fact, consider Exodus 20. The Sabbath is a day set aside for the only true good one, right? The Lord God. In a sense, Jesus here, as he always does masterfully, right, is blowing up this attack at God's law and his word. Hence... Is it lawful on this set-aside day to do good? Jesus is asking, of course, all days. But Jesus' point is, if it's unlawful to heal on the Sabbath, the holy day of days, the day of the only good one, then it might as well be unlawful to heal and do good, period, on any day. Jesus is saying in this account, this is the day that you would do good. Now, this day here in Mark 3 and in all the Sabbath encounters is, in the New Testament, um, a Saturday, or a, sorry, for Israel, Saturday, under the Old Covenant. So you'll say, well, we meet now on Sunday, and that is a clear disconnect. And it is, I want to be clear, it, it definitely is a disconnect. So what of that? Well, if you're simply referring to the holy day, the holy day now being a different day, you're exactly right. And of course, we recognize now the resurrection. The cross did indeed change everything. We follow the pattern of the early church, and again, that's for another time. But yes, if you're talking about that disconnect, well, there definitely is a disconnect between the two. However, we have many disconnects like that from the Mosaic Law, don't we? Just follow me for a moment. Most of us don't carve wooden idols or covet our neighbor's ox or donkey, or at least I hope not. And in the wake of that reality, we don't say, well, because we don't have wooden idols and oxen, it just doesn't apply. I can covet all I want once I'm not coveting those things. Nobody says that, right? Nobody says that. 
No, we recognize what? The spirit of the law here. And this is the point. And we really need to orbit here to understand the Ten Commandments properly. They're pointing to something greater and a fulfillment that will be greater. And we won't have time, sadly, to get all of that today in Christ. Brothers and sisters, it's no different here. The reality of a holy day has always been. Remember where it started. At Sinai? Creation. At creation, it was implemented, a holy day. The reality of a Sabbath, a Lord's Day, appears in Genesis 2, 3, just as much as it does in Exodus 20, just as much as it does in Revelation 1, 10. It's throughout Scripture, a holy day set aside unto him. And just as carved idols became Hollywood idols and oxen became tractors, in the same way, so too Saturdays after the resurrection became Sundays as the holy day. This new holy day is made clear in the New Testament. Listen to this. Literally hours after the resurrection, consider setting the day apart, devoting it unto God. John 20, 19. On the evening of the first day of the week, that's the day Jesus rose from the tomb, it says what? The disciples gathered. That's no different to the holy convocation outlined in Leviticus 23, verse 3. Sabbath gathering. In 1 Corinthians 16, verse 2, on the first day of every week, God's people, it says, put a special offering aside. No different to the special offerings found in Numbers 28, 9 and 10. In fact, those offerings were just for Sabbath. Gathering, offering, praying, as John was in Revelation 1. All these Sabbath actions now on Sunday, but here it is, church, no less holy The holy day activities, no less holy, because they're now on Sunday. The devotion for God's people remains the same. The new day, which is because of the resurrection, doesn't mean it's a whole new law entirely. And this is where we can miss it in our discontinuity. It's not a whole new law period. No, beloved, God from creation has always ordained a day of your week to be set aside and fully consecrated unto him. I hope you see that in this text. He's always ordained that, a holy day. Here it is, a day set apart, consecrated, fully and completely onto the Lord. That heartbeat of the command has not changed. In fact, I want you to just consider a very plain reading again. Look at verse 8 with me, just a plain reading. Maybe fresh eyes. Remember the Sabbath day... To keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it shall you not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who's within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that's in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. You see that there. And I want you to grab that. Now just listen to the church. That is for Israel. I want you to listen to the church in Acts 20, verse 7. Tell me if there's any connection between these two. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them intending to depart on the next day, the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight, the end of that day. All day, the early church in devotion, listening to Paul. Would you not agree a day set aside for the Lord, a day where they're gathered, a day holy unto him? Now, 
I know what you're saying. Are you saying we need to get to Saturday or we need to start changing things around? No, that's not what we're saying. And again, we don't have time this morning to get into all the finer bits. But what I want to submit to you is what I've done. We do this a lot on Wednesday nights. I want you to think back to maybe 40 years ago, maybe 100 years ago for books you've read. And I want you to just consider for a moment, we're not talking about Sinai. We're talking about a Judeo-Christian society. And I want to ask you something. Was the Lord's Day different 40 years ago? Was it different 100 years ago? In fact, I'm here to submit to you, you better believe 200 years ago, it looked a lot like Sinai. So before we start thinking, and we do this, I do this, thinking, oh, what about this? And I want to hang on to that and that. Just think for a moment. This was collective, not even in the church, in society. Society, secular, pagan society, set aside a day. Yes, stores closed, aghast. Just family get-togethers, aghast. They did this. Do Do you see what we're saying here? This is how far we have fell off and why many churches are closed today. Because the holy day became a common day. And that's what we're looking at. And I pray you're here because you recognize today is a holy day. A day set apart unto the Lord. And this is important for understanding the fourth commandment about the Lord's day. So, so important. And that reality brings us to our second application or question. And it's this. Because this is where the bulk then of the questions remain. Under the new covenant, Sabbath is a law of full devotion, not of fine details. Indeed, there are many things under the Mosaic law that we don't do. The time stamp bits, that's what I keep referring to it as. And one of them, and you're thinking about this, I know, under the Mosaic law, a man was executed for gathering sticks on the Sabbath. You know that guy? Numbers 15. He was executed for gathering sticks on the Sabbath. You read that in your devotions, and it's one you're like, wow, Lord, help me. Understand this. But it's true. And in fact, I'm here to submit to you, he deserved to be executed. He did. Because he broke God's law in that dispensation with the presence of God manifest, where God was revealing himself to him. And we're going to get to the heart of what was maybe going on in that man's heart. But under that dispensation, it was important for God to establish his law. This man was in defiance of a very clear law. His standard, God's standard. Now listen, we need to just pull aside briefly. Not much I will say about this. We need to pull out our ox carts from the ditch on a Sunday. We need need to fight crime. We need to tend to sick patients We need to be on call and emergencies happen. That's not what we're talking about. People will throw out many labor defenses. We're not talking about that. That's just understood by way of Jesus. And again, we say, thankfully, we're not under the dispensation and the administration of the enforcement of God's law in such a visible way for the nation of Israel. We're thankful we're not under that administration anymore. However, because this is the new covenant, doesn't mean the spirit of law-breaking is different. If you'll bear with me for a few moments, I hope we grab onto this. Just because we're not under that administration doesn't mean the heart of that commandment is any different. Yes, how we still seek to gather sticks on the Lord's day. We love to protest that we can gather our sticks on the Lord's day. 
Oh, how our priorities are so self-centered on the Lord's day, like that man in Numbers 15. Oh, how we make defenses. I imagine that guy, I imagine he would say something like this, facing the execution squad. I was just trying to start a fire. You're going to execute me for that? I'm just gathering sticks. There's nothing wrong with gathering sticks. You can imagine Moses or others quickly would turn to him and say, but you could have gathered those sticks on Saturday because Almighty God said so, right? Almighty God said so. Make preparations for the day set apart unto me. And as Yahweh enforces his holy standard and establishes it, he makes that clear. Beloved, here it is, so that you don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I am not a Sabbatarian. Many in this church will tell you that. I am not that at all. I respect those that hold strictly those things, but I am about the heart. And it's not even just me. It's about the heart of the text and the heart of the new covenant. The heart of the Sabbath law is indeed still true for us today. And it asks this, and just consider with me, this is the heart of what we're talking about in the fourth commandment. Let's not get out our measuring sticks and prescriptions and little finer bits. Let's just get out our hearts. Have you set aside a day unto the Lord in your week? I mean, have you really set a day aside where it's all the Lord, not you? All the Lord's agenda, not you. Have you made that day fully his? Or do you have a whole bunch of asterisks aside to it? Yes, yes, but, yes, but, yes, and you understand, yes. As such, beloved, listen, something as simple as this. Do you prepare for that holy day? Do you make preparations for the holy day? Do you make a way for it? Do you ready physically your hands and your heart for that day? Are you thinking of Sabbath on Saturday night? Are you already thinking, I go to worship the Lord tomorrow and I want to be ready to bring my all to him? How many things do you do and work on this day that you could have done yesterday and maybe you should be doing tomorrow? This is not legalism. This is biblical common sense because you want to prepare your heart and be ready for this day. I often wonder how many Lord's Day excuses are simply just a matter of a lack of preparation. More, I wonder, if I may, how many Lord's Day lapses are simply a lack of priority. I wonder if for many, it is just more of a priority to gather sticks on the Lord's day. I wonder. Church, making the Lord's day holy, making this day a day set apart from others is not legalism. It's not being Sabbatarian. It's obedience. It's reverence. It's a pursuit of holiness that, listen, 50 years ago, this was not an issue. But it is a major issue today. And again, what have I said? I've stood up here how many times and said, people say to me, what's wrong with the churches? Why are they closed? Here is one big reason why. Sunday's just not a priority for the church anymore. Not at all. This is what we're talking about. And that's why we desperately need this command. And you know, this deserves comment. And I've alluded to this before. How if we simply obeyed the commands of God and made this day holy, how many of our common complaints would start to fade? I don't have enough time to get into this piece, but we will down the road. This is the most incredible thing, right? It's like someone saying, you know, I'm just eating all this junk food. I'm free to eat junk food, and I don't understand why I'm getting sick. But I just keep on eating junk food. It's the same thing. What do we say? We say things like, I don't have time to do this. I'm overworked, and I need rest. Yet we gather sticks. 
I don't have enough time for the Lord to read, to study, to pray, to fellowship. You know, if I only had a 25th hour of the day, no, you actually have a full day to do that. God has given us a full day to devote to him. In fact, God answers your prayer every Sunday. He says, you've got a full day devoted to me. Or how about this? I'm just tired. I'm just so busy. No time to stop. No time to refresh. Life is just moving so fast. Yet that's a dimension of the Lord's day we haven't had time to mention. Dave read that passage where Jesus brought this into view, subordinated the Sabbath properly for man. Think about this in Exodus 23, verse 12. Just listen to this. We'll be here in a few chapters. Six days you shall do your work, but on the seventh day you shall rest. Listen, that your ox and your donkey may have rest. And the son of your servant woman and the alien, listen to this, may be refreshed. Do you look at the holy day as refreshment? Do you look at it as rest in that way? The Sabbath was made for man. That's what Dave read in that passage. We are free to Sabbath for refreshment. We're not bound to it. It's given as a gift to humanity, image bearers, so our tired bodies and worn souls will give back to God. And careful now, careful, doesn't mean the Sabbath is a day of aimlessness or sloth. That's not what we're talking about. That doesn't mean it's a day of me time or no time. No, quite the opposite, and we've learned this already. It's a day of rest from your normal work, your productive work, yes, but not all sense of work of diligence is set aside. Remember, in creation, God rested from creation work, but not all work. What did Jesus say in John 5, 17? My father's always working. He just rested from that productive creation work. Look, Lord's Day has all kinds of work. Some of you are going to sweat later because you're working, because you're chopping vegetables, you're preparing plates, you're doing the things that you need to do to be fully devoted to God on this day. Some of you sweat already today, serving a church and in a ministry. Again, right down to lunch and serving up people in your home. You worked and you worked hard today. And it's Sabbath day. But that work, so to speak, on Lord's Day is your refreshment. And here's the blessing of it. You work, and again, like I say, you even sweat on Lord's Day. But then Monday morning, you're set to go. Why? You're set to go. You're charged up from Lord's Day. Why? Because you lazed around all day on Sunday? No. In fact, if you did nothing but nothing on Lord's Day, you know what happens when you wake up Monday? You're tired. You're tired. No, it's an amazing testimony from many of you that open your homes on Lord's Day to say, I am just ready to go this week. Because you were plugged into, you tanked up, and you were refreshed in Christ, in the body of Christ. And in fact, I would submit to you, and I know this, we've been in some of your homes, you've never worked harder than on the Sabbath day. Because you're working in the body. Just a blessing. This day, the Lord's day, here it is, beloved, and please don't walk away misunderstanding. The proper day is a day of priority. And that's the simple question we ask. Is this day your priority? Is it? Is it the day you find rest? Is it the day you set aside as holy unto him? It's only possible to have a day of priority, the Lord's day, that may be filled with people, not pastimes, a set-apart day where you work heartily on to Jesus Christ to worship, to sing, and then with his body to laugh, to eat, to rest, A holy day where the watching world says, what is the deal with Westmount? 
What's the deal with this day? Why do they get their swords out for this day? Why do they guard this day so much? Why is it so important to that street or to that church on Clonsilla? Why? Why is the lot filled? Why are they willing to fight for this day? Why all of that? That's what they say. And we say because of Christ. Because of Christ. He didn't secure us just one day of seven, a rest. He secured us eternal rest. We work for him on this day because one day we won't be in anguish. Working under the wrath of God and suffering in it forever. That's why we set aside one day of the week holy unto him. And it shouldn't even be causal or duty. It should just be worship and joy. How can we not do this thing? Don't make defenses for picking up your sticks. We check our hearts and say, we give him what is freely due, what we must do. We will spend eternity with him. I have no sticks to gather on Sunday. The rest, which only the Son of God can secure, reveals our work futility, does it not? How many of us work and work and work and see no output? Have you been there? I have. No output at all. How often do we work for us? Do we work to be good? Do we work to be liked? Do we work to earn? Do we work to be right? But days of work like that are not only tiring, but beloved, hear me and hear the word of God. They are meaningless. That's meaningless work. They are nothing. And is it any wonder after all that empty work that you're still tired? And is that you today? Is that you today? Are you worn out from all your improper days? Are you tired because you have no more limbs to pick up sticks? You're just done. Are you tired of making excuses for all that is common? Do you recognize this day that your priorities are just out of whack? If so, I leave you with this offer of rest from the only true productive worker. I need to say this. These elders love when this happens. I didn't plan this with Jim. He had no idea I was ending with this, but he called you to worship with this text, and I will call you to salvation with this text. Maybe this is you today. Matthew eleven twenty five. Here, the only Savior. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, And my burden is light. Father in heaven, we are so grateful for that offer. And for those of us that have bowed the knee here, we recognize that offer is every day. That we can rest in you. Your easy yoke, Christ. Thank you for his finished work in which we can rest. Thank you, Lord, that you do renew us and our bad habits, our improper conduct, our sinful, straying ways that you renew us in the word of God each Sabbath day, these Lord's day. Lord, we thank you for that. May we be renewed in what we've learned today and walk out giving you glory in all things we pray. Amen.